As Dita Von T says, heels and red lipstick will put the fear of God into people. Hello and welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. I come back at you today with another episode in our micro history series, but today we're going to talk about the history of heels. High heels have a long and quite unexpected story. We associate heels with women and femininity, particularly very Western styles. But in fact, their history is typically masculine and purely practical. In their very first documented incarnations, heels were typically used by soldiers, aristocrats and royals, and all for very specific reasons. According to Raphael Gomes, who is the director for the Savannah College of Art and Design, the origin of high heels can be traced back to the 15th century in Persia. Persian soldiers would use heels to secure their feet into specialised sort of horse stirrups. Essentially, they would use the heel on a shoe to secure themselves into the stirrup to be able to stand on the horse. This would essentially help them fight better when they were in warfare. Therefore, the early design of a heel was essentially practicality which is pretty fascinating seeing as what they've become nowadays and practicality is not a word I would associate with high heels. However, apparently Persian migrants brought the shoes into Europe and they became a trend for male aristocrats who wore them to seem taller and therefore more intimidating at court. It obviously wasn't the exact style worn by the Persian soldiers, but something that was emulated and a style that attracted the male aristocrats of the time. There is evidence to suggest that other cultures used heels to ride horses in early modern history. And as horses were expensive to own and use, heels were therefore always associated with wealth and power. The Persian riding boots specifically were a sort of slipper style and they were small kitten heels. I found an image of them on Teen Vogue if you want to have a look. But they're not the sort of hot pink ultra feminine stiletto that we sort of associate with high heels now. But a very stylized slip-in kitten heel shoe that obviously was used for practical use while on a horse. But obviously they had to look fairly beautiful because soldiers were high in society at the time. They were powerful beings, but essentially the kitten heel was used for a practical reason. I do also want to mention cowboy boots as a little footnote here. The stirrup style was reminiscent of early riding boots, the ones I'm talking about, and adopted by cowboys for a similar usage. The stirrup on a cowboy boot is used in order to secure your foot into the horse's stirrup, which I think is quite interesting. But obviously this is a lot, a lot later because cowboys were around in the 1800s and these Persian riding boots I'm talking about were 15th century. But nevertheless, there's a distinct uh, similarity here between the usage and the style. However, in 15th century Venice, there is evidence of women adopting heels, not just men and not just soldiers. However, unlike riding heels, these were extremely high, what we'd think as stiletto-like shoes, up to a staggering 54 centimetres. And human servants were used as crutches so they could actually walk. They're essentially stilts. As I read, the higher the heel, the more cloth was needed for your dress. And this indicated wealth. It was purely lavish and indicated a real high status. There is a similarity here and it seems this connection to heels and status is a common thing in these early eras. It particularly comes down to your height. And I suppose 
potentially the impracticality of wearing such heels. If you were wearing a quite impractical stiletto-like heel, you weren't needed to do much manual labour. And that is quite different to the practical style of the very first heel, which, as I said, was more of a kitten heel and used for soldiers, whereas the images of the shoes used in Venice in the same time period were distinctly different. Nevertheless, this connection with wealth and power is still quite prominent and quite interesting. Speaking of wealth and power, Queen Elizabeth I, for example, the English Queen Henry VIII's daughter, wore heels to be perceived as more masculine and therefore more powerful as a woman, most likely to gain some height and also to create this connection between herself and the power of the soldiers and the army. As I said, heels were primarily used at this time in battle. And also, as I said, at this time in Europe, they were also adopted and loved by the male aristocrats. And so for Elizabeth particularly, as a female queen at this time period, wearing something that associated her both with men and with soldiers was a very, very useful thing in her position. In the 1600s in the West, heels come more fully into fashion as a staple, not just a status signal. As I said, the connection was with manliness and with power, but slowly this style changed and male fashion was adopted across genders. And the primary way this was done was with the adaption of heels. In around 1673, King Louis XIV introduced shoes as a fashion staple in Europe. He was not a tall man, apparently, and heels were a big part of his general get-up. He apparently created heels in the 17th century style with bright red heels and soles, which in fact Louis Vuitton used as his inspiration. With this, though, everyone in French court wore heels and it became a fashion staple. It was also no longer something just for men, but was adopted by women as well. I remember reading somewhere once that the sound of high heels on tiled flooring or marble flooring at this time period would also signal that the king was arriving. So those in court would hear him coming and it was another state signal of the time. Also interestingly in the French upper class colour coding was used on heels to signal privilege reminiscent of the red heels that King Louis XIV wore. However moving later on according to the BBC in the 1700s in the West again philosophers started talking about something called the rationalisation of men and women start to be known as emotional and sentimental in contrast to this. So by this new gender standard, men are advertised to dress more rationally and with this, rational shoes. <laughs> it was during the time of the Age of Enlightenment where philosophers became big news and people started to think more about the world around them and therefore more rules became introduced and became a general part of daily life and this is one of them. I also read that in the UK in 1770 an act was introduced that connected witchcraft and the use of high heels which is a bit bizarre in my opinion, but also quite fascinating when you think about the idea of the rationalisation of men and the irrationalisation of women. So then with this, high heels are not practical and rational <laughs> and heels became smaller for men. It's here we sort of see the birth of heels becoming something completely different to their original incarnation and becoming something impractical and ultimately feminine. In now the 19th century, heels were firmly implanted as women's fashion. It was in the 1860s that women's shoes started to be seen as something sexual. The rationalisation of men sowed the seed of this idea of impracticality and therefore sexuality and this really connected heels with women. 
They returned at this time as sort of about two inches, and this was the main fashion. Something called the pinnet heel and the Cromwell heel were introduced. The pinnet heel is a short boxy heel that is an hourglass shape. It's a very cemented image when it comes to shoes during this time period. Also, the use of mass production of this time and the invention of machinery made making and selling heels much easier and accessible to the masses. With sewing machines, it increased the rate with which you created different garments and shoes specifically. I saw on BBC Ideas that heels were used as props in a great deal of pornography of the time period as well, in which women would wear heels and nothing else, essentially. So shoes therefore became ultra-feminized and deemed sexy. And this actually then started to develop the trajectory of heels from the 19th century to what we know as today, as heels became seen as very feminine and glamorous and worn by models, actresses and those with glamorous styles or glamorous jobs or those in pornography. However, of course, in the West, um, the world wars greatly affected the use of material and heels were no longer used day to day. They were only used by models or when in very glamorous contexts, such as parties or weddings. We therefore see the trajectory of heels move from something seen as sexy or sexual in some contexts and by some people to something pretty much only used by models and in pornography. I think it's safe to say this is really what cemented the heel as a sexy object of clothing. It was obviously not necessary for men or women to wear heels when they were fighting a world war or doing war work. Again, in World War II then, pin-up posters were very, very popular. These were garish, very sexualized photos of women, very scantily clad women, sent to soldiers for boosting morale. Heels were a large part of these styles and in a lot of the photos you can see them being a real object of sexuality and the leg and the heel is a huge part of the image and the sex appeal overall. And then, of course, after the war, moving into the 50s, the movies gave heels their real notoriety as something sexual but also affected their connection with beauty and glamorisation. Interestingly, the introduction of Technicolor in 1939 with The Wizard of Oz made high heels movie glamorous. Frank L. Baum's shoes, who wrote Wizard of Oz for Dorothy, were silver, but they were changed to red for the film to make the most of Technicolor. And these shoes were glamorous and glitzy and really cemented this ideal of heels as something beautiful and glamorous. And I'd say that ruby slippers are pretty... Pretty glamorous in my estimations. <laughs> However, after the war and in the 50s, in America specifically, ultra-feminine fashion a la Greece and think about the marvellous Mrs. Maisel became popular. Heels became more day-to-day use and definitely they were no longer for men. Heels were now womanly, feminised and higher than ever with the introduction of the stiletto heel. Again, as in my previous episodes, we can see Hollywood having a huge influence on the general public consciousness of certain things and stars like Marilyn Monroe affected fashion and culture hugely. Heels obviously being a really huge part of her general image. Now instead of heels being associated with height and power and manliness we have heels associated with sexiness and attractiveness. Heels created a specific gait too making women take small neat steps that are seen as womanly and delicate similar to what I was talking about with the foot binding in China. 
Apparently, heels also physically change the shape of the spine, which bulges more at the base and chest if worn daily. Corsets, anyone? (laughs) In fact, according to um, a BBC article, the higher the heel, the more it forces the body into an unnatural posture to maintain its centre of gravity, a position that is now seen as sexy and feminine. This is just light years away from soldierly practicality and manliness that we saw at the beginning of the episode. Footage from the 1950s, though, shows women saying things like, I'd rather go through quite a lot of pain and wear them and look nice and suffer for it. And any smart woman would go on wearing them, irrespective of what the consequences are. Of course, there was a weakening of the stiletto in the 60s and 70s. And in the 70s in the West, we saw the platform beginning being worn by all genders. And also in the 60s, we saw kitten heels become popular, the very short heel. And these are popularised as training heels for teens, particularly after they were worn by Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's interesting we see the trajectory go from ultra sexy, ultra feminised to now something again worn more loosely and in different styles by all genders and all ages. But I just think it's fascinating how something can go from such a masculine practical usage and its design be for something very specific turn into something completely different hundreds of years later and now that is completely what we associate with the high heel of course i think the image that's cemented in western consciousness particularly is the stiletto heel and that is what allows it to be seen as something feminine and sexual it's still fascinating to see the connection between changing in ideas and how something becomes one thing to the next i think it's quite clear that the enlightenment had a big say in what the heel became and this idea of rationalization of men is what kind of eradicated it for men and it allowed it to become something for women But as in my past two episodes, if you haven't listened there on lipstick and corsets, it's this idea of controlling women again and making things just a little bit more difficult for them. And I wonder where that started. Was it with the Enlightenment and this idea of rationalisation? Or is it something that's always been slightly prevalent, as I spoke about with the women in Venice who would need human crutches to be able to walk, to be seen as beautiful and rich and wealthy? and the women with the bound feet in China. It's this idea of limiting women move, women's movements and just making things difficult. And I think that's really quite fascinating. Why does that happen and where does that come from? And it seems to be prevalent, yeah, throughout the world, throughout different eras and in all different incarnations of things. It's not just heels, it's not just corsets, it's not just dresses. It's lots of different things that build up to create this idea of a woman. For some reason, this idea of a woman is constriction and difficulty. I wonder what the heel would have become and what it would have looked like if it had carried on being worn by men. As I said, cowboys did wear some form of heel in the 1800s in America, but this was for a very small group of people and for a very short amount of time in the general (laughs) view of the world. I say bring back shoes for men. Noel Fielding on Bake Off has the right idea. I think it looks great. (laughs) we need to be put back on equal footing forgive the pun a little bit and maybe heels is the way forward although I can't say I ever wear heels so maybe I'm uh, fighting the good fight more than I (laughs) realise anyway I'll stop rambling but I hope you found this uh, episode a little bit interesting it's I think it was really fascinating I really did not know a lot of the things that I found out about the origins of high heels I really would not have put Persian soldiers as um the origin of something that I now associate with uh, white women in the 50s wearing stilettos just shows that 
things change and we also have these uh, very stereotypical ideas cemented in our heads, whether we like it or not particularly when it comes to fashion. Now, as always, I found this information in a variety of different places, but particularly um, on BBC Ideas and various articles across the internet. But interestingly, all the information I found really crossed over and it was just sort of repeated over and over in all the different sources. Now, I'm sure, again, if I did very in-depth research and wrote a whole book on the thing, I could find a lot, a lot more information. But yeah, it's interesting that there seems to be a general set of information surrounding heels and these crossover on a variety of different sources. Do have a look at images of some of the shoes I mentioned because they're really beautiful in their way and it's really interesting to see what was worn in different cultures around the world in different time periods. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Be safe. Stay fab, everyone. <laughs>